Hello, my name is Sam Taylor. And I am Tim McCourt. And welcome back to the Peg Bar and Grill podcast. Um, I know it's been a bit of a tumultuous week for a lot of people, um, especially those of you over in America. Um, if you're listening to this in the future, we've just had a, uh, a certain um, election, um, which I think is probably on a lot of people's minds at the moment. But hopefully the next two hours is just going to be a bit of uh, nerdy animation chat to take your mind off of politics for a little bit. Yeah, man, we feel for you guys over there. Uh, so we spoke to Ian Gardner this week, uh, well, a couple months ago, but you're going to be listening to him this week. Uh, he's an animator, director, independent filmmaker, very experienced. He's worked for people like Richard Williams before on The Thief and the Cobbler. Currently, Ian Gardner programs the animation side of things over at the Inter- Edinburgh International Film Festival, uh, which has a, an amazing program, and he's in charge of the McLaren Award there. Yeah, I think for anybody who um, is about to finish a film or about to start a film or is just curious about the fairly opaque process of submitting to film festivals, um, there's a lot to learn from Ian, and we certainly learned a lot chatting to him. He covers things like what festivals are qualifiers for, um, BAFTAs and Oscars, what festivals um, allow you to still have your film online, we discuss a lot of the sort of the kind of changing rules around festivals and the reasons that festivals have the rules that they do. Um, Ian's somebody who knows this stuff intimately. And I think what was really inspiring to us talking to him is just how much he cares about all this stuff mm. and how in touch he is with um, modern short filmmaking that's going on in animation. If uh, there's anything that we're talking about in the podcast that you are not aware of or would like to find references from please check our show notes because we are pretty diligent about referencing everything in in our notes so thanks very much to ian for coming on and chatting to us and thanks very much to you guys for listening enjoy the episode thanks very much see ya So where did you grow up in Scotland? Glasgow, yeah. Um, south of Glasgow. In a wee place called... Cam- Actually, Camberslang's not a wee place. Camberslang's, I think, the biggest... Was the biggest village in Scotland, and it, it kind of got absorbed as Glasgow expanded. So it's a weird relationship with Glasgow, but I went went to Glasgow School of Art. Um, we, you know, which I, I don't think... I'd, I would have really thought about it, you know, even if I had been aware at the age that I went to Glasgow that there were choices that maybe I could have gone to Edinburgh, maybe I could have applied to a college in London. I still think I would have been drawn towards Glasgow because it it was very much a kind of draftsman school. And And do you feel far away from kind of what was going on in London? Did that matter at all or didn't even think about it? Didn't even think about it. I'm sorry. It just (laughs) doesn't offend me. um, I think it's great. I mean, I, I, I did have... It's like one of my biggest problems with this country is like everything's so focused. It's on very the, focused. And I, I think it's one of the reasons I'm in Scotland at the moment. I thought Glasgow was... And I've not been back recently, but because of its uh, drawing foundation, um, I, I thought it was a great place to be studying. Um, and, did you, and at what point did you decide do you want to do animation? Oh, that's kind of hard because I don't fully know really how it all started there's one event I went to in 1988 
there was the Bristol Animation Festival where Akira premiered, wow. uh, Creature Comforts premiered, um, John Lasseter's short, I can't remember which one it was, but it premiered. That was a good year for animation. It was incredible. The Man Who Planted Trees by Frederick Back. Oh, and they were all there. Wow. Um, what well, Otomo was there? And I, I can't speak for the director of Akira, but I know that like Back was there and Nick Park was there, Terry Gilliam was there. Um, there was just an amazing pool of talent. Um, so it, th- there was an interest in doing it. It wasn't on offer at Glasgow School of Art, um, which I've always found, and it still isn't today. I think, I think they do allow people to do it, as I was allowed to do it. Um, but I always found it slightly bizarre, given that Norman McLaren was a graduate from Glasgow School of Art, that they didn't... Was he? Of, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I always found it slightly bizarre that they didn't jump in that sooner. Mm. But facilities are available... And it is encouraged. It's not discouraged. Um, I did get the impression, because they did a kind of focal group and lots of the graduates, alumni, were invited in. Um, and I, could, I would concur with the general feel of that meeting, which is that it would be best as a kind of artist-based film programme rather than a kind of you know, production film programme, so it would be more on the experimental side, which may or may not be useful to the economy, but, I mean, it's an art school, it's... As, as long as people aren't regurgitating video experiments from the 70s or film experiments from the 1950s, because it is a slight thing that grates with me, is that you see experimental film and I kind of sit there going, but when I did that mm. in 1930, I know you've not done it before, but that doesn't make it an experiment. <laughs> you I, know think that that was, I think that was the problem I had with experimental film at university, was yeah. that was what you were kind of being told to do and it didn't seem to be... Like that relevant at the time. Yeah, I I, I think I think I, I do get frustrated with the naming or this or, or or some people naming work experimental. You can read up on how Len Lai and Norman and the rest of them and Robert Breer kind of get that kind of slightly edgy, shaky look. In the same way that you can do Pinocchio, um, it's you can learn that as a craft. Um, and I think that the experimental landscape has moved far beyond that. Mm. And it's probably in the land of virtual reality at the moment. And it might have more commercial applications than people who are identifying it as experimental may want to admit to. But, I mean, I mean, look at the, the Google Spotlight films. Mm. What can be more experimental than giving the audience the camera? Mm. You're not in control of it anymore, do you know what I mean? Yeah. That, but, experimental, there has to be a certain lack of control I mean, I was quite lucky. I mean, even when I did my first film uh, for Channel 4, which, I mean, I, was, I, I managed to get a teaching gig uh, not long after leaving the Royal College of Art. Um, and I was developing Akbar's Cheetah at the time. And I'm very much hands-on. I like, and, and with Akbar, it was all cell. It was all paper animated and Was traced, it shot on film? And it was shot on film. Yeah. It was one of the last... 35mm animations shot in Soho. I think there were a couple of other things that followed after, but it's one of the last kind of films in the can, and I don't know where the can is. And is that your graduation film from No, it was my first kind of professional film. It was the first commission from Channel 4. Done through the Museum of the Moving Image residence scheme. What what was the funding like back then? Awesome. Yeah, because I was like, when you look at all stuff made from the kind of early to mid-90s and that. There was a lot of kind of like short films that came out of those kind of schemes and stuff. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, was it literally enough that you could sort of 
do it for a year without doing anything else. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I hate to say it. I think you... I, I had a slight advantage when I did like Bars Cheetah because I embedded in TV cartoons, which was John Coates' company. Um, I'd managed to get some kind of animation work with John Coates. Um, I think it was Willows in Winter by Dave Unwin, which was a feature for the ITV. Um, but because I, I was kind of partnering or embedding myself at TVC to do my Channel 4 film, they had a bit more, I think, leeway in terms of getting the budget. Um, and I might be misremembering to the tune of 10 grand, but I think the budget for Akbar Shita was, it was either 62 or 72,000 pounds. Wow. In, in 1999. So that's not even By accounting today, for inflation. And we had Nicholas Hooper do the music. He went on. I mean, he, he had established himself. Cause he, <laughs> that is insane to think. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, cause, uh, uh, was it televised? That Yeah, yeah, broadcast. I mean, they, they used so to have they're, they're paying for like some broadcastable content. They're paying for broadcastable content. They're paying for rights because it's mm. part of their kind of, not that it will shift much, but, you know, it's, it's part of the kind of library of Channel 4 films. And it's also for the kudos because those films would get entered into festivals. It's really bizarre, actually, because, I mean, as I've progressed and tried to have more is it autonomy, more, uh, just more control over my output, um, I mean, the last film I made, I, I just took charge of my festival strategy. I, kinda, I wanted to make sure it was placed at certain festivals. And it's bizarre, because I, I recently, going through Attics, found a couple of catalogues of where Akbar's Cheetah had played and I suddenly, I'm not saying it would have done well. I'm not, I'm not being arrogant. I'm not saying that had it been in the right competition, it might have done better than it did do. But looking back retrospectively to where it had been entered, it was put into all the children film competitions. And it mm. wasn't, Yeah. It, it was child friendly, but it wasn't made as a children's programme. Mm. But because it had come from TVC, which was known for doing children's programmes, a lot of festivals or TVC themselves had put it into those categories. And I remember Jane Pilling saying to me, because she'd seen it uh, build at Stuttgart one year, and I, it's only recently looking at other categories that it was in that the pennies kind of dropped, but Jane had said years ago that my film had been in the children's category at Stuttgart and com completely missed its slot. It should have been in the short film competition. And who submitted it to those Well, it would have been... It would have been again, no, no disrespect, but there would, there would have been a secretary at TVC who would not have known the subtle differences, but would have seen that previously it had been, you know, the, the output would have been entered. And again, it's, it's, I'm not knocking that lady, and I'm not trying to be sour grapes either. It's just, it's, it's just something that I didn't think about at the time. Mm. Um, and it's one of the joys I have... Now, you know, one, one of my kind of relationships is with the Edinburgh International Film Festival because I, I programme mm. um, for the International Animation and the McLaren Award. Um, and the McLaren Award is the longest running uh, recognition of British animation, I think, anywhere in the world because we're up to 27 or 28 at the moment in terms of recipients. Started in 1990. Um, but one of the joys I get now, especially when we do show... Um, graduate work or have new talent come in is that I just feel I'm able to pass on this wisdom that you know you should really be entering your film here, 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 and you know. Mm. And I, I've got we've, we've established a relationship with Edinburgh College of Art now where I'll just go in before they graduate 
and talk to them about festival strategies. Just say to them, look, you might want to qualify for Scottish BAFTA. So, you, you know, you want to get in here, you want to get in there. You might think you could go for the BAFTA. Have you ever thought about doing a website about this? Just laying um, it all out for people? Because I it is a little bit of a minefield to figure out when you've never submitted to, to a festival before. And when yeah, you're... but I mean, one of the things I say to the... I mean, I guess the strategy doesn't come from some of the websites, but I think the British Film Institute or the British Council has a festival's listing. Right. And you can, you can search uh, subgenres like animation, music video, um, horror, you know, depending on what your short I, film is. I think is. It's, it's difficult to know what festivals are qualifying festivals for other festivals. Yeah. And that, <clears throat> that's the kind of thing where it's a little bit complicated. And, like, what festivals can you be in and still have your video online and what yeah. ones, you know, those kind of things, it feels like there almost just needs to be mm. a list somewhere that lays yeah. it out. And I think, is it um, Director's Notes yeah. have done a list? Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I think the problem, and I'm, I must admit, because I don't have a, a contender, I don't have a short film um, that would be in the festival circuit at the moment, so I'm, I, I'm not concurrent with Academy Rules. And, and, and some people, when I speak to them about their festival strategies, they kind of roll their eyes when I talk about eligibility for the Academy Awards. Because it is a bit, it does sound a bit kind of hoity-totting pious, you know, let's, let's go for an Oscar-type thing. But uh, arrogantly or otherwise, I wanted to focus on Academy qualifiers with a tannery. And I never expected, I, I, I did not have the, the arrogance to think that it would be an Oscar-nominated film. But I knew that if you got... Uh, a qualification you would get in the long list um, and that has great benefits because suddenly everybody sees your name in a list and you know everybody googles you and right at the end of the festival run it won at the Worldwide Film Festival in Toronto and you're suddenly on a list of amazing films you know and so do you have to win a qualifying festival to get long listed yeah, there's two. I mean, there's two routes to get the Oscar nomination. You either win a Grand Prix at one of the qualifying festivals, which is listed on the Academy Award website. They've got all the the kind of um, contemporary festivals that, that you, you need to win. And the other technique is to play your film for a week uh, to a paying audience in an LA theatre. Yeah, yeah, I've um, heard that one. Yeah. And I don't even think you need to actually get an audience in. That's you so just, crazy. Yeah, you just need to get. Get, that's, get it that, booked in. that's a crazy rule, right? That's the way it's done. And and again, I've not checked that. That allows it to be so open for corruption, though, isn't it? Yeah. And, and the one wee bit, pardon me, the, the one wee bit of the Oscar qualification that I'm not um, up to date on, but it has traditionally been that you can't qualify if your film's online. Which brings us back to the Edinburgh Film Festival. What's, what's you guys' policy on that? Um... General, generally, um, Edinburgh International Film Festival is a UK premiere only festival for many reasons. Um, uh, I mean, th- let's think directly first about your audiences coming in. There's that kind of excitement of seeing something for the first time. Um, there's a funding dimension to it in that the amount of money that it costs to host a film festival, a lot of the funders are saying, well, look, part of the... Uh, the job of the film festival is to be a kind of meeting place for distributors, marketers, talent scouts. Uh, and if you're not showing premiered work, i.e. If, if that industry base of 
buyers and sellers don't need to come, then we don't have we, we don't have a an, an income for the city or for the you know for that territory. Um, so there's a funding perspective as well that we have to have UK premiers um, because you want the and your funding comes from the Scottish government, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So there's lots of kind of legal precedents as to why we can't just open the floodgates and show what was on the BBC the night before. Do you know what I mean? It's just because, um, I mean, I've, I've, I've had my feet under the table at the Film Fest, I think, since 2009. I've been there a wee while. Um, and because I felt, uh, rightly or wrongly, that the animation industry operated slightly differently from live action. You know, whereas, I mean, it's more likely that a short live action filmmaker will want to jump on to do a feature film. I'm not saying that we don't as animators, but the career progression and the opportunities aren't the same for animators. You know, there might be a, a kind of producer or a distributor looking out for new talent in live action. Um, so all that kind of premiere stuff is applicable because they, they will want to get these rising stars that they can kind of kind of mentor into features. But we, we all live in a kind of different environment where we're maybe more doing our auteur films to get commercial work in or to do music video. I mean, to some degree, there just isn't the same kind of infrastructure even to do animated features. It's not to say that we don't do them. You know, Ethel and Ernest wrapped recently. You guys, well, I know, Sam, you've worked in The Illusionist. So there are, and Ardman are doing features also. But you can count them on sort of one hand, can't you, like, in comparison yeah. to... So the in industrial climate and animation, I just try to make the point, uh, Edinburgh is slightly different. And, and we're not an animation festival exclusively. I mean, I think the business in animation is going to get done in Annecy, it's going to get done in Ottawa. Um... We've got, in Britain, we've, well, we had Exeter, I think it's come back again. Um, we had Bradford, and it's now resurrected as Manchester. But there are festivals that have a sole animation focus. And I just kind of made those kind of counter-arguments that Edinburgh is not an exclusive animation festival, and the marketplace that we serve um, might be operating in the context of Annecy or somewhere else. So whilst we do want to keep championing animation could we not just change the submission rules for animation so that we don't necessarily have to have a UK premiere um, and we obviously still try and get them because it's great, I mean it's just it's brilliant to, to be able to announce a screening and know that most of the audience will never have seen a lot of the work before um, but everybody you know, at the team in Edinburgh agreed with my argument that we didn't really need a premiere rule for animation. And why is it that Edinburgh splits it up between animation and live action? And and would it be possible if you're an animator to submit to the live action category? It could be. And get in. It could be. Um, we <coughs> had... Uh, we, well, let's, let's say, for example, we had one film by a, um, a great new talent, uh, Ross Hogg, who... He, he, his graduate film was called Spectators. Um, what else has he done? Um, Scribble Dub, which was a kind of McLaren-esque scratch-on film that did quite well. Um, but he did a collaboration with a documentary filmmaker, and it does, it sits kind of halfway between being animated and live action. 
Now, one of the reasons, because, I mean, part of the remit is to champion local talent. But Ross and Duncan had said to me before, where do you think we should send this in terms of Edinburgh? Now, because I knew it already played at Glasgow, I basically just said to them, well, look, you, you, you kind of, your choices are quite narrow because you won't get in if you enter it as a short film because it's not a UK premiere. So, you know, we, we housed it into animation because, you know, it's, it's, it, it is partially, it's a bit half animated. Uh, and I think they've decided to put it in for live action at Scottish BAFTA. So there are films that kind of are in a halfway house. But I think to go for short film, they would, to, to comply, you know, to keep um, parity with the other short films, it would have to be a UK premiere. Um, but, but the thing, if you, if you think about the context of the McLaren Award, which is the British section, if you were a British animator, you'd really want to be going in for the McLaren Award anyway, I feel, because um, you've got a greater chance of winning because you're, you're not against all the other... But then you know, it's sort of like, just on a kind of semantics kind of level, like an animated film is still a film. It's, yeah. it's something we were kind of talking about with effects <clears throat> last week and he was very proud of it. started to get into categories alongside... Uh, short films and, and yeah. in, in a way it kind of fits into the, the lineup better you know what I mean whereas like if, yeah. if you have you know just pure animated films and it could be anything from something that's directed mainly for kids to something like oh, what was the wicked one that was at the Edinburgh when we were there and it's the dude it's like puppets man oh man was it yeah yeah like just stuff like that yeah um, I mean for me actually that was more of a seemed more suitable for the film than it would an animation category because it wasn't even that much animation in it. Yeah, I that was tricky because um, it, yeah, it, it is kind of in a set, in essence Simon Cartwright's Man of Man. If he was here, he, he would clarify this for us. But it is kind of like a puppet film. It's like a live action film. Mm. But there's a I I felt I mean it's a great film, but and it's one of those films where you're like oh. I mean, you want them all to win the McLaren, but do you know what I mean? It was strong, and it, and it was like, well, mm. this would be great as one of the contenders for that prize. Um, there is enough animation in those puppets, like the mouths and everything. Yeah, yeah. A, there is a layer of animation going on there. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's minimal. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying, and, and, and I mean, in terms of curation policy, um, it's always, I think, but if it's the best film, shouldn't that... It's like the Oscar being nominated for in multiple categories for... You know, best an animated film can be nominated for best film. I still think it would be unfair. I mean, think about it. We, 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 we have... Has that ever ten. happened? Yeah. Beauty and the Beast won it, didn't it? I think it did, or it was the first nominated. It was the first nominated. Yeah. Um, um. I, I mean, I totally agree that we should be recognising animated film as short film and the one the one thing I love about the Edinburgh Film Festival as a whole is that we, yes we have an animation programme we have a short film programme we have a documentary we have an experimental we have categories of film but it's all in one catalogue we, we don't have at the Edinburgh International Film Festival a catalogue and then oh well here's an A4 that's animation or you know here's Here's, a, here's something to throw in the bin, that's the short film. It is catalogued as film. It may be presented to the audience as, well, here's a selection of British animation, but it's all under the same catalogue. And I really appreciate that, and I totally appreciate the point you're making, 
that we could embed it more. I, I have proposed. I think that there should be. I understand it's like that. You know, I like the idea of like an animation category, but if it's a film festival, I feel like, like you know, it's the old cliche like animation isn't a genre. Yeah. Like, and yeah. in film festivals, it tend to treat it tend to be treated as a genre. I was surprised to hear actually last week that Effect said that there's a lot of kind of film festivals now who are not seeing that distinction. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, his film's kind of getting along, going alongside, uh, you know, a programming where you have, you know, live action film. And actually, like, I think it, for me, like, that'd be more of a treat to get that in, in amongst yeah. a bunch of live action films and you're going to be judging it with a completely different context. And uh, uh, I, 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 think, mean, I think that is important and I'd, I'd like to see more of that. I, I mean, mean, animation has its own festivals to celebrate that. You yeah. Know? But, that, but I mean, that's where I, I would make the argument that the McLaren Award is a very important institution within mm-hmm. the Edinburgh International Film Festival. Because, yeah. because again, without, without throwing the weight of the Edinburgh International Film Festival, the McLaren Award is older than Encounters. Mm. It's older than next... You know what I mean? We have been in the block longer than anybody else recognising the best of British animation. And yes, the film culture, film critique, a lot has moved on and a lot has changed. But what I would be potentially wanting to argue in terms of selections for British animation in Edinburgh is that we actually widen the floodgates in recognition of how British animation is changing. So that, yes, maybe it does become more about animation as a technique rather than, you know... I know it sounds like a weird thing to say, but, you know, rather than necessarily sell it as this is a short film compilation, it is becoming more about what animation is doing in Britain in terms of, you know, whether there's online content or... I mean, as long as it's cinematic in its intention. I, I just find that because of the change in commissioning for animation and the opportunities in animation, we are not necessarily representing the best outputs in British animation because we can't show things that have been broadcast in Channel 4. So somebody might have done a random act and it might be a, a, oh, yeah, a right. completely awesome experimental film in animation, but that goes against our... Um, not, not our premier rules, but the, the rules that would then restrict broadcast and online. Right. Because premier rules are more about festival premieres. Oh, it gets so confusing. Yeah, it sounds like a, it was way more of a minefield. It is a bit of a minefield. It is a bit, a, a bit of a minefield, but, but whilst agreeing, because, I mean, let's face it, my own films, I mean, I, with the tannery, when it, when it won in Toronto, it was in a mixed programme. And I really appreciated its placing because, I mean, I wanted to make a kind of heart-wrenching, sad film. Mm. And often in a compilation of animation, you don't really get that emotional involvement because you've just, you've either been slightly confused or slightly amused or um, your eyes have hurt slightly because somebody's used strobing. And to see the film in a programme about death where kind of technically it should have been... Is that where it was in... In, in Toronto, yeah. It was, so it was put uh, in like a kind of like genre... It was put in a kind of, no, I wouldn't say a genre of death films, it was just, it was curated very well in a programme right. of films that 
led you on a journey through mm. different forms of grieving. Yeah. And it made people love my film because bang, the tears came out. Whereas you're not with a five minute film necessarily. And, and, and it's the art of programming in itself that you try and take your audience through a journey made of those films. Um, so I do totally agree that, um, yeah, we should, we should be sitting animation in lots of places. But I, I, I would also just keep championing the McLaren Award and just to keep the dialogue going of what the McLaren Award is about. Because when we established it, or when the festival established it in 1990, there was auteur films being commissioned. There was a regular supply. If you go back to the catalogues and look at all the films that played in 1990, the staple of the Royal College of Art, um, a couple of Edinburgh graduates, National Film Television School, but maybe 40% Channel 4, um, a couple of other kind of independent things. It, I mean, it, it's just not happening anymore. The, the, there's not that, and, and you know, God bless BFI, Creative Scotland, everybody else for trying to find pockets of money when they can. But we're just not having as much funded in this day and age. Mm. So I think you, I feel, in the context of Edinburgh, that we we need to widen the scope of what we're curating, what we're trying to collect. So do you think there's less short films being made now or more in animation? I don't know if there's necessarily less being made because there's that whole thing about the democratisation of filmmaking and that anybody, sadly, anybody... Um, Why is that sad? Because you have to look through it. Oh, right, yeah, because yeah. you've got to um, spend time. Yeah, oh, uh, yes, I, you know, it's been entered, I have to watch it. I, I hate that. I mean, the thing is, you, you could get a submission in and you being an art snob or whatever opinion you may have, you might, in the first five seconds, think this looks terrible. But sometimes films, for whatever intention the director had, they'd start them slightly, you know, to jolt the audience and they actually really hit home at the end. So you've got to make the effort and sit through some uh, everything that comes in. Sorry, can I? Can we just quickly clarify what your job is? You... What, you actually watch so, all the films that get selected yeah, and you're you the one to, who decides what goes up on screen. Yeah, I mean, the basic, the basic principle of it is that you watch, um, as, as the programmer of the animation section, you have to watch everything that's submitted. How many that films category. could that be? Um, it what? varies. I mean, I think it's been about 200 um, this year. I mean, it has been higher in the past. I don't that know. That doesn't sound that much. No, it I was expecting it, like it, in the thousands. Tim watches that on a exactly. Weekday. But that's the thing because of because of the restrictions and premieres and whether it's right. online and all the rest of it. And, and again, it comes back to where and there's no fee to submit to it. There is, but I mean that's all right. every festival. I, I I don't know exactly where Britain. What is it? Oh God, do you know? I don't know because it's, it's not much though, right? It's not an enormous amount. I hope it's not an enormous amount. It's comparable, I hope, uh, with other festivals which are available. Yeah. But I think, again, I don't know the politics, but Britain kind of fucked up somewhere in that a lot of European festivals don't have entry fees because they've got European Union conventions and pacts and it's subsidised, which means that filmmakers um, can just enter the films for free. Mm. But Britain, I think Thatcher or somebody said, oh no, we don't want any of that. Probably Thatcher. Yeah. Let's, let's stick it on our bill anyway. Exactly. Um, I, mean, I mean, when I started at the Edinburgh Film Fest in 2009, we, we, I don't know if it was the case for features, but we didn't have a submission fee for short film. Um, but festivals like Glasgow Short Film Festival were popping up. I wouldn't say out of nowhere, but you know there were a lot of baby boom festivals 
who all came onto the scene and were charging entry fees. Unlike, again, without throwing the weight around, we're the longest running, we're the longest continually running film festival in the world. And if you've got Glasgow, Bristol, Exeter, Manchester, you know, if everybody's just kind of pitching a tent saying, we're doing a festival and we're charging you to enter, you've, you've kind of got to. Do you know what I mean? You can't, you can't be the oldest film festival and say, well, we'll just keep the floodgate completely open. Do you know what I mean? Because you, you've actually, you're the one with the reputation to keep. Uh, what, so you mean you have to do it in order to allow these other festivals to No, just, ju just to be seen on, on that kind of level. Do you know what I mean? It's like you, you don't want to become the kind of cheap back door for everyone because you don't have an entry fee. Do you think that would happen? Yes. I, th I think people would look at everyone else's entries fee and go, there's Edinburgh, let's just... Have you, have I, you don't, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think that having a free service devalues it. I mean, there's, you know, yeah. Gmail is free. Yeah. It's not that people don't see it as the shit alternative. Well, also, being a broke filmmaker, I've yeah, definitely looked at festivals and gone, that's free, sick, that's so good. Don't blame the <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, no, no, I, I, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying that the logic around you have to charge for it Otherwise, it it devalues it. It is not necessarily relative to film yeah. festivals. Uh, and in my see you don't have to pay. To no, you don't. And that's its reputation couldn't be higher. No, I know, but but again, Annecy's on mainland Europe. None of them charge. There's an international, not an international. There's European. But the playing convention. field is international. It, it it is it is. But I'm ju I'm just saying that Edinburgh held on to the principle of not having a submission fee for as long as it could. But there's only so far you can do that when everybody else is charging. But did, was did, it seeing an effect of submissions? I, 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 I wasn't. I mean, this is just when I started, so okay. I wouldn't be able to report on figures. Um, but it's not a decision that I think any film festival would necessarily feel happy about having to implement. But we just don't get the subsidies from government. Mm -hmm. So it's like... I, that, I mean, I think that that is reason enough like yeah I, I mean it makes sense that that you potentially need to pay some money to submit but yeah i mean and, and, and to be fair it's it's um, not just an individual like me watching the films which is a it's, it's a pretty huge time commitment yeah you know how yeah. long does it take you to go through that i don't have my spreadsheets and it's just you is it or is there a whole jury um there, there are more people across documentary and short film uh, experimental but there, if you didn't get into Edinburgh Film Festival you can blame you potentially <laughs> potentially but one does filter um, put me in the spot here um, th th there are people to call on if you're in doubt I mean th there have been several times where I've, I've seen a film and I've just not really known whether it's my problem or their problem in terms of you know whether the story's coming across or whether it's too generic or too derivative um is it really clever and I'm stupid? Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes you just don't know. So I think you, you'll pass it around the team. Uh, mm -hmm. Just from right. having gone to your one of your programs, yeah. like I really uh, rate your I, uh, curation completely. I think, yeah. well, I think it's, I, I think it's I, I really agree. I agree. progressive. Absolutely. I was surprised that our film got into it. It's not anything. It's super short and it's not like anything like the it's not even technically trying to be a film so I think it's but the energy that was in it is just incredible yeah but, but we, you can see like it definitely didn't get into a lot of other festivals because I think it's not really seen as 
a film. And I, I, I anyway, I'm not trying to yeah. like to start talking about myself. I'm just saying I, I, I really. Uh, I think. I rate your curation. I think it's really important to try. I mean, I mean that's why I sometimes wonder whether we reassess what we open the McLaren Award to, because for me it really should be. I mean, okay, we can't do advertising. Um, you know, we can't we can't do stings for television that are animated. You know, there's certain boundaries that you have to set over what is suitable in the context of a film festival. But personally, I just feel that you should be trying to represent the broad range of what is happening in the culture at the time. And, and yes, we have had, up, you know, concurrent to now until, you know, it, it may change, but we've had a restriction on films that are online. But there are times where I've put a case to the artistic director and my manager and all the rest of it for films that, yeah, they're online, but they're not just online. Um, the example I can think of was a film called Penis Mouse. Now, I don't know how much... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't know how much I can say about the creator of Penis Mouse uh-huh. because I think they still would like the anonymity. Sure. But, <laughs> but, but that's... OK, that was made in Britain. And the genius behind it was that it, it was online but presented as a long-lost Polish film and people yeah. bought it. Yeah. And people blogged about it and people talked about this guy who never existed. Now, as a curator of British animation, I can't let that slip. That's a huge yeah. sea change that people aren't just dumping for the things online. There's a big difference to me in just trying to get the kind of appraisal, the kind of feedback by having something online mm. and actually trying to generate a culture around an object on the yeah. internet. And personally, if, if the McLaren Award is about feeling the pulse. I used to write, I used to repeat myself every year in my notes for the catalogue, oh, this is the pulse of British animation. It can only truly be the pulse of British animation if we recognise that some people are actually dealing with the internet in a creative way. Mm. In the same way that, you know, it it might not have worked in the restrictions of the cinema, but we had Felix Massey's 360 film Rain or Shine this year. Now, they came up and they presented it to a a small group on the, the, the the mobile phone platform so people could experience it but I just feel that we have to catalogue it we have to have a note somewhere saying oh right 2016 people are starting to make 360 degree films in Britain Mm. so I think the whole kind of um, net of capturing British animation has to widen as the ambition and the output and I even feel I think it's so good that there's someone like you fighting for that like honestly, it's I can't tell you how uh, safe that makes me feel about like films being recognised. Mm. Um, yeah. And what about stuff like VR? You talked about VR earlier on. Like, is that something that could it, ever be represented in a film festival, or is that just a different art form? I think it could be discussed. I mean, the thing is, the film festivals are great forums for social kind of gathering and social experiences. Um, my colleague Kim Knowles does the experimental programming and she, she does, um, oh, forgive me, Kim, because I can't remember the name, but she does a live event and it's all 16mm film, live music, and it, it just transforms the experience of cinema because it's more, it's almost more club-like. I mean, it's weird. I mean, even, even if you think about the title of, of all these films, we call them all film festivals, and yet... Just about every single one of them now is a digital festival, really. Mm. If you want to be really pedantic about it, it's yeah, all digital yeah, yeah. formats. Although, 
I tell you what was really interesting about the Edinburgh Film Festival when I first went to Edinburgh was that it was at the same time as the Arts Festival and the Comedy Festival. Yeah, in, in August, yeah. 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 And it just felt like... Did they overlap? They did. It, it was oh, all right. August. Wow. And it was, all it was wicked. Was it was just yeah. like, it didn't matter what it was, it was all there yeah. in Edinburgh during that month. Yeah. And then I think it got a bit big and you guys switched it to another... Yeah, we shunted to June. Um, and we still get criticism. We still get criticism from London-based journalists. And the reason, and I, I got this from the mouth of a, of a London, I wouldn't name them, but the reason that they keep banging on that oh, the film festival doesn't work in June is that they can't be bothered coming up to Edinburgh twice in a year to cover two different events. It's, it's more convenient for the press to make one visit outside of the comfort of London. I feel really bad for saying that. <laughs> but that's what I heard. Mm. So they keep, I'm sure it is. They keep putting the pressure on, oh, go back to August, because it suits mm. them. It suits the people yeah. that are writing the story. Sure. Whereas we have a great time in June, because we, we get the whole city to ourselves. We get the festival theatre for um, the gala night and the gala closing. Um, we get our pick of venues. So if we want to do a special event, we could park up at... Well, I'm speculating you could go to the Botanics, you could go to the zoo. Whereas during August... It's got to be the You're most smothered, you know, oversubscribed time of year in that. Oh, it's it's great. City. I mean, it's, I love August. I mean, you know, the festival that we starting at the weekend. Mm. I absolutely love Edinburgh at that time. A lot of people don't. I love it. Um, but I, I'm also really satisfied that the Edinburgh International Film Fest has kind of parked its pitch somewhere else. Because in some senses, you do get over fatigued with all the festivals in one month. And I even think Festivals Edinburgh are trying to spread it a wee bit. You know, we've kind of got a puppet animation festival in February. Um, we've got Scotland Loves Anime in October. Um, so there are different mm. kind of festivals kind of breaking away from August. I mean, it'll still be a huge festival in August. But we, we, we even got like the Hogmanay Festival now, where we have the procession of light and bands and stuff. Mm. So I think we're just trying to spread the kind of feel-good stuff over the year up there. Yeah, um, I, think it, I think it makes sense. Um, for a couple of years, we've been doing film in the city. Um, so in St Andrew's Square, the, I think it's the weekend before the festival opens, it's just free screenings of oh, classic right. films. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been absolutely packed. Okay, it's free and it's popular titles. It's films that like Grease and Mary Poppins. It's no, it's wicked to do stuff like it that. It is, it's amazing. And, and you do get footfall from it because obviously the there's an awareness that the film festival is starting, so we do get audiences in. Um, but, I mean, I think... I think, I think I mean, it was the 70th edition this year, not the 70th birthday. It's really confusing with festivals, because you never have a zero. Like, you don't have the, the zero film festival. You've got the first one. So when you get to your 70th edition, you're actually only 69. Yeah. So we're 70 next year, but... Do, anyway, um, it was a really good year in terms of uh, kind of numbers and footfall. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I must admit, I, I do get slightly envious of the draw. I mean, I mean everybody in the animation world goes to Annecy. Um, and as I say, we don't quite get the... But I mean, Annecy is an animation festival, Very right? much. It's not. Very much. Yeah. But I, I'm always a wee bit jealous of... <laughs> that the, beautiful lake. Like, oh God, not just the lake, but like a thousand people or something into watch animated film. Yeah. I think, I think the capacity of the film house is 300. Well, we do get good audiences in for yeah, animation, yeah, yeah. but I, yeah, I, I wish 
I mean, it's not just down to me. There's there's other factors, but I I, I wish we could draw more people in for is animation. It, is there more people? More and more people coming? Is um, every year or I don't know about the average? general audience. Um, but one, I was actually quite taken aback because we, as you know from your visit, we like to get the filmmakers up on stage at the end, mm. and it's it can be a bit shambolic because you you don't have much time for Q and A, so you're just kind of like, oh, here's everyone, right, good night. Um, but we had the biggest lineup of visiting filmmakers this year. In fact, the only film in the McLaren program that we didn't have a representative from uh, was Simon's Cat which was the prize winner this year, but every single other film had the director or producer or somebody involved with the production. So we, we've got these great lineups. Mm. Um, so I, th- I mean, I think, I'd, I'd like to think that we're getting a wee bit more engagement in the kind of filmmaking community. And, you know, I, we all play our part. I mean, I, I obviously, I love coming to visit guys like you because... Every time I come and visit, I'm kind of like, come to Edinburgh, do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I just, I'd, I'd like to think that that kind of that point in the calendar might grow for animation in Britain. So you, you were talking about the fact that you went to the RCA. Mm. Was that in the 1990s? Yeah, I think I can never remember. I graduated in 96. It was Joan Ashworth's first intake. Um, so it's definitely over 20 years ago, because I think Joan just recently left. And that was into animation? Yeah, yeah. Having done illustration at Glasgow. And actually, there's a lovely wee experience I've had in my life. Um, Because I should have graduated the year as Jenny Savile, um, but I delayed a year. Because uh, after the Bristol Animation Festival, um, I got a work... um, um, I got a summer placement with Oscar Grillo at Clark de Wiedstein, which was on Marlebone Street in Soho. Um, and I, I, I think I was 19, I can't, I can't remember exactly, I was quite young, um, but Oscar was quite keen during my month in London, which was my first kind of trip outside Glasgow, mm. quite keen that I explore other animation studios. Oh, yeah. um, and I had my art school portfolio, and it, it, it's just bizarre. The, the first place, and I was ignorant of animation, the first place I'd take my portfolio to, and I wasn't allowed in to visit, which is what I wanted, was Richard Williams' animation. Hmm. Um, I didn't even really fully appreciate that they had they, they, that was the guys you know they all did Roger Rabbit you know I, I, they, don't, they didn't really teach me anything in Glasgow about animation but anyway I was I was working away at Oscar and Ted's place and the phone rang and somebody said is, is Ian here and I was like oh yeah um, and I basically got a job at Richard Williams Animation Studio uh, as an in-betweener so I'd, I'd somehow kind of bypassed the in-campaign department hmm. and um, and was that on so, Thief and the Cobbler? Yeah, which was pretty epic. And I keep yeah. trying to get that up in Edinburgh. Oh, really? Um, did you, have you seen it? You did a screening in London of it. Yeah. Did you go to it? Um, I didn't. I, I couldn't make it down. Right. Um, it's weird because a couple of years ago, um, Chris Fujiwara was the artistic director at Edinburgh at the time. And I'd, I'd been speaking to the team about whether or not we could put an unfinished film on. Um, purely in the basis that the animation is amazing. Um, And I think Chris, when I was pitching it, was a bit nervous because it's been released by Miramax as a complete film, a butchered film. But there was an anxiety. Australia or something? Do you know, I can't remember who was all involved with it. Um, 
it's, it's, it's a completely different and sordid story of how the thief and thief and the cobbler, whatever it was called, eventually came out in DVD. Um, but Chris could foresee that there would be legal problems in having a cut of a film that is commercially available. Mm. Um, but I kind of been speculatively asking Mo, who is Richard's uh, wife and uh, producer, how they would feel about screening it. Um, And I was being very delicate because I knew it was a big issue for him. I knew to a degree that it could be quite a painful proposition to say, would you like to screen it? And as it turned out, um, we felt on the festival side that it could be too complicated clearing rights for it. But it Unbeknownst to me, the year that I was pitching it for was when Dick was turning 80. And Mo said, look, can we do something for Dick's 80th? So um, I I, I actually contacted the other animation festivals and said, is is anybody marking Richard Williams' 80th this year? And Kieran at Encounter said, no, but we should. Um, So we then partnered up with Encounters and we, we helped the Edinburgh and Encounters together pitched in to get a DCP transfer of Dick's uh, short films. So we, we both mutually presented Dick's films. And then the year after that, he was at the Academy in LA presenting Thief and the Cobbler. Have you since seen it? The, all their cut that they've been presenting? Um, I've seen, um, is it somebody... The re-cobbled. Yeah, the re-cobbled cut. I've seen bits of it. But the, I mean, this is the problem with the... In- it's the one thing I don't like about the internet. Um and especially when you get something like Thief and the Cobbler, these things aren't supposed to be seen even on, like, 15, 22-inch screens. I mean, I, I, I was working... We, we, we got the rushes in every week when I was working on the Thief yeah. and the Cobbler, and they were projected on film. And it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. And seeing it on a laptop doesn't do it any justice at all. Yeah. Um, so it would be amazing... Uh, yeah, I'm sad I've missed the, the yeah. opportunities to see it that came up. I must admit, like, I went to watch it just because of the sheer, like, it's quite, <laughs> whatever you make of that story, mm. it's such a kind of, like, famous kind of, like, tailwind animation yeah. the film that, you know, the masterpiece that never got finished. Yeah. And uh, But I found it really hard to watch as a film. Yeah. But there's some technically just astonishing pieces of animation in it but yeah. as a film it it's very hard to, to watch the way if, if I mean he's, he's passed on now if if the budget was available the way that I would have liked to have presented it in a festival context would be to get the likes of I mean, he wasn't involved with the film but somebody with the stature of Christopher Lee I know he's passed on but he was alive when I was pitching this um, but to get somebody like that to kind of um, narrate you know, to kind of say, you know, here's this story. And and, and, and in, in some ways not show all the storyboard stuff, not show the line test stuff, but just project finished sequences and, and mm. maybe, maybe even not all of them because there are sections that repeat, like the the section with the, the, floor. the laundry yeah. does go on a wee bit. So, you know, had I an infinite budget, that, that would have been my pitch for a, mm. a theatrical audience would be to make it a bit more theatrical. And to Tell the story of, the fi- of to get, the, yeah, what to happened get, to the film. Not, not, not the technical story, but you know, to, to tell the fairy tale mm. and then cut 
to sequences, yeah. but not the cut. Mm. Because really what the interest in with The Thief and the Cobbler is the mastery in those sequences. I mean, the the, the Vincent Price sequence of the playing cards is yeah. it's just phenomenal. And you don't really want to sit through three and a half minutes of laundry to get to it, do you know what I mean? Is the laundry bit the bit where he's along the kind of checkered ball floor? Um, th- I think the laundry bit is when he's the thief's tried to steal some balls from the minaret and, yeah. and ends up kind of falling down all these kind of canopies and yeah, yeah, bloomers yeah. and he goes back up and he does it again. Um, it, 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 I mean, it, I, I think many people know the kind of ins and outs of the thief and the cobbler, but I mean, I think for animators, for filmmakers, it's a good lesson in uh, tying down narratives because I think I think it just suffered from the fact that they had a script, which was Nishruddin, uh and then through a, a business dis- dispute, the rights were taken away, but footage had been done. And it was just felt, well, let's just cobble together something. You know, we've kind of started, so let's see where we can go um, without the copyrighted Nishruddinger or the trademark, whatever it was, whatever the legal situation was. Um, and it, I think it did suffer from that. I mean, I don't know what it would have been had it stuck to being the story of Nishruddin. Um But there was a slight element, even when I joined it, that it, we didn't fully know what it was. Mm. Um, yeah it's it's difficult it's it's really touchy because obviously Dick put his heart and soul into it but it is it's just not cut right but then you know we're looking at work prints maybe maybe in his mind it was going to be slightly different Mm. Um, but it but it did it, it suffered a wee bit from not having a lockdown story. I mean, I've heard story. I I left to go back to college. How long did you work on it for? I'd stayed nine months. Ah, so a fair fair yeah, old. It was uh, a fair whack. I mean, I, mm. I was quite young, and I was, I was getting a bit angsty because it was. What was the working hours like there? I've it was heard insane. Was, huh? Insane. It was insane. Yeah, yeah. And I've always been a bit of a kind of jobs worth. I feel really. How stupid. long were your days then? They got longer. I mean, it was it was. <laughs> It was kind of eight hours to begin with, but eventually it was kind of like... It's the same with anima- any animated project, to be fair. The, the working hours, the, the pressure does build up. I, I mean, as much as we, as animators, want to do a job to kind of sensible working hours and all the rest of it, we, we, we're all our own worst enemies, and we all put more work in than we necessarily are covered in the budget. We, we're very passionate about what we do. Um, but one of the best things about having had that time at Dick Williams is that, I mean... Especially today, but even back then, for all the pressure that Richard Williams was under, which I think a lot of his cantankerous reputation comes from, I mean, think of the pressure he was under in terms of the amount of money that was being mm. invested and the amount of time he had to do it. Um, and okay, arguably, thirty years, true, and, <laughs> and arguably, you know, maybe some people would have dealt with the pressure differently. But even within that pressure bubble, he was an incredibly generous man. If you consider that. You know, there was I as a 19-year-old fresh out of college and he'd accumulated decades of knowledge from Disney and he was just telling me and everybody else that was working in the film. So, you know, it was tough and I maybe left... I certainly left prematurely in, in as much that I didn't wait for the doors to close. 
and I, I didn't even realise that the doors were going to close. I didn't how how long after you lifted the doors closed? About six or seven months. Right. I think I just left in time because it would have got really scary. Um, well, maybe and, they closed because they couldn't work without you. No, I think I think I think they were, <laughs> they were like this relieved. in between. Were, and it's not up to scratch anymore. A, a big relief that the giggler in the corner had gone. So at the um, the Royal College, were you somewhat of a kind of like, whoa? You worked at Richard Williams's sort of studio. Well, it's funny because I I had to have it kind of I had to have that traditional training beaten out of me when I went back to Glasgow because um, I, I was being very kind of anal in the work I was doing as a student so I think by the time I got to the Royal College and I'm sure my colleagues at the Royal College would contradict this but I don't think I've, I, I don't think I've promoted as much that I'd been at Dick Williams I don't think people at the Royal College would have given a shit that I'd been at Dick Williams and I tried in my remaining years at Glasgow and at my time at the Royal College to be I I would actually cross that line of saying experimental and inverted commas again, because what, what I would try to do in the context of my student days was to evolve a film, which is the most bullshitty thing in retrospect that I can think of saying. But animators often say that they like playing God, so they like controlling the destiny of a character and they like planning out the destiny of a character. And ha- having self-identified as, as an atheist quite early on, I thought, well, how can you... You know, how can you practice that kind of um, philosophy of um, life by chance and coincidence? So I, I, I tried to make films almost in a kind of do, um, documentary uh, reactive way. So I would go to situations and I would draw and, and then I would use the animation skills that I'd learned to build these sketches into sequences. Um, so for me, that was slightly experimental but maybe for everybody else in the course and my tutors it was just being a bit lazy and not thinking through what I was doing I certainly remember Joe Brooks one of the tutors saying that she'd never seen anything like my graduation film before um, but the weird thing is, is your graduation film online? Uh, yeah I've got it on my website but it, it's a really bad copy actually oh, right. um, but it is there um, what's it called? I, it, I was watching it's, a few it's called films. The Flight of the Dodo um, and it's it's kind of really badly recorded interviews with conservationists and me drawing what they were doing and stitching it together and trying to get that kind of ecological environment. I, I remember somebody reviewing it at the time saying, I really wish that I could have liked this film, <laughs> but it just wasn't well made enough. Or I can't remember what it was, but it was like, yeah, I really liked what he was trying to do. But yeah. yeah. But You but, do like to animate a, uh, an animal, is oh, what I've it. noticed from yeah, your films. I love it. Um, but but that again, I think that just comes from kind of early foundations as a student. Where I don't know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of anthropomorphism. I'm, I mean, I do enjoy a lot of Disney films with anim- like Zootopia and all the rest of it. Um, and I'm I'm kind of slightly off environmental messaging in animation because when it really comes down to it, you're not going to stop. In an, an environmental catastrophe through an animated film. I love um, the idea of uh, making an environmental film with just loads and loads of sheets of paper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so th- there is a lot of hypocrisy to it and gelatin and cell and all the rest of it yeah. and blah, blah, whatever it's made of. But, but just to go back to the did I kind of throw the legacy of Richard, as I'm doing now, I worked at Richard Williams. Um, yeah. Did I do that at the Royal College? I didn't. I, I tried to suppress that traditional knowledge and then 
on graduation, seeing how much it bombed in terms of an approach, I went, right, the next thing I do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show the world that I understand how to actually animate. Mm. And that's why I did Akbar's Cheetah. Because if there's one thing an animator will tell you, it's don't do stripes and don't do spots. Yeah. And there's nothing but spots. In the, I mean, I don't actually outline anything in the film. It's mm. all told through the spots. So that, it's not perfect. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's all its time. It's pretty damn good, though. I mean, like, yeah, some of the animation in that mm. is... Is incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I did you animate you. all that yourself? Um, some of the sequences were, I mean, Peter Dodds. Uh, no, no, no. Peter did some stuff in Canterbury Tale. Um, Roger Mainwood, who directed Ethel and Ernest, helped do some of the animation because it was done at TVC. Nicola, Nicolette Van Ghent did a deer for it at the beginning. I did all the cheetahs because I, I couldn't ask anyone to do it. You, you can't go to someone and say, "I want you to do." I want you to animate 70 spots per frame. Um, so I did absorb all the cheetah stuff. And why did you want to do that many spots? But, well, exactly because of what I was saying. My, my graduate you want to films, show off your skills. Exactly. My, Flex my graduate, your guns. My, my graduate films were underplaying what I could do. They were deliberately, again, inverted commas, experimental approach to animation. Because my tutors at Glasgow had been like, oh, you're, you're an arse because you're trying to do all this technically perfect stuff so I made a conscious decision not to be technical in my animation approach and I, I went through the Royal College and everybody got signed up by an agency except me and like Simon, um, uh, Adam and Alan became Nexus Productions and there was me with this kind of not very effective environmental film so I Who were your contemporaries in that? Year? Yeah I, I, Adam folks, Alan Smith. Oh my God! It's Smith and Fox. Yeah. So they so were in your year. Yeah. Right. And they were doing they were doing kind of abstract stuff back then. Really? And they're like the film. the big guns of the totally. animation world, Absolutely. commercial world now. Yeah. Um, a guy called Andy Higgins, who I think still around. I think he was signed with one of the age. Well, everybody was. Um, Sandra Ensby was in that year. Um, she was kind of back then experimenting with interaction and flash. Um, Molly O'Kell, Neil Alcock. Um, God, there was nine of us. I can't quite remember everyone. There was nine in the year. I yeah, know, it's crazy when you think to what they have now. Mm. So how did you get the job at the film festival then? Um, that was a coincidence. That was just one of life's looks. Um, I'd kind of inherited an, a, a bit of a non-existent group now. We, there was a community called the Scottish Animation Group in Scotland and it was just to be honest and, and I'm sure nobody in that group will mind me saying it was basically a bunch of people coming together to moan about lack of funding and lack of exposure blah 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 and you know in some ways it should have been something like Animation Alliance it should have been a lobbying group um, producers should have been kind of petitioning government for tax breaks blah 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 but it just ended up being a bit more kind of auteur filmmakers having a moan about stuff and apologies to anybody that had a different perception of it um, but one year I kind of by default became the chair of this group and having experienced it being a kind of monthly moan or a quarterly moan I just started thinking we need, we need to do something and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that I maybe made the right decisions for the group because some of the ambitions I grew that year led to 
me organising the centenary celebrations for Norman McLaren in Scotland. But I just felt that the group should be projecting what Scotland does outward. And granted, there's a lot of talent. There's Axis Animation, there's Will and Ainsley, there's Colic Films, Interference Pattern. I mean, the industry is really building in Scotland. And apologies for not name-checking everybody, but it's a really vibrant scene. Um, but at the time when I did Scottish Animation Group, I thought, well, Norman McLaren is currently internationally famous, so we could ride on the back of that. We could do a season on his centenary. Um, and, yeah, I ended up just doing that with the people behind the film festival. But, 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 but going a long way around, because I was chairing that group, um, I ended up, just by having my name on the tin, being invited to chair panels at the Edinburgh International Film Festival... And I also, but it was also concurrent with when the film fest moved from August to June, and being the chair of the, the group, the art colleges were saying, "Well, look, this gunners us, because we graduate in June. The students graduate in June, and they can submit their films in July, and present in August. Well, we can't do that anymore, um, especially because the the window of eligibility was uh, going to be June to June." So in capacity of chair, I was going to the film fest saying, can you extend the deadline for the film students? I, basically, they got to know me through this position. And just out of the blue, the contacts that I made at the film festival said, um, they just had this chat to me about animation, blah, blah, blah. And they just kind of went, do you want to programme the animation film section? And I, just, I was like, yes, yes, I do. I, I didn't really know what it was. I didn't really know what I'd be doing. Um, and they said to me, that I can't, we'd have been back in 2008, and they said, and part of what you would, would ask you to do is to kind of think up retrospectives. Oh, wow. And, and before they'd even finished saying it, I was like, 2014, Norman McLaren. <laughs> so, yeah, it kind of, it just seemed to fit. I just seemed to fit the team, and um, no one's asked me to leave yet. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing I found is... Is, is that, that a, like a... A job job like you get paid or is it just sort of you do I it? would say I mean no no disrespect to the wage that you get it's it's like a, um oh it's like a, a kind of wee bonus thing I mean it was really weird because like a nominal sort yeah of exactly it's like you know they have to pay people something and I'm not saying that it's not a good wage I mean I don't really necessarily count up the hours and there's lots of perks you know, I've, I've managed to get opportunities to represent the film festival in Annecy and Encounters and Aesthetica, so there are lots of perks that come from it. Um, by, by saying it's a nominal fee, I only mean that it's not going to pay the bills. I mean, it's you can't rely on it. But I do remember when they asked if I wanted to do it, I was just like, yeah, I'd love to do this. And I was I was actually getting up out of my chair, and they said, oh, well, well you'll get a, a salary for doing it or a fee for doing it. And I just kind of went, you get paid for this? Because <laughs> yeah. I didn't realise. Oh, you know, I, <laughs> I was totally prepared. I mean, they were all kind of going, don't, he would have done that for nothing. Um, so but it I mean, affected what they ended up giving you. Right? It might have done. It might have done. But <laughs> Talk yourself out of a few quid. Exactly. But, but the thing is, I mean, I mean you've, got, you've got to remember that, that yes, okay, it, I'm not saying that I, I want to do it for nothing because it's nice to have that, that, that bit of cash coming in and on, on that basis. Um, but the, the nice thing I've really found doing the role is that it's, it's, it's growing. You know, it, my input's made it grow. I mean, yeah, you yeah. Know, we've, we've had Don Hertzfeld, we've had 
Um, we had the Quay brothers, we had Dick Williams, we've had Barry Purvis, we did Will and Ains last year. Um, and it's through the McLaren that I did as well. It's just, I mean, somebody else in the role would have grown it in a different way, but it's just been really nice that the team have kind of fed back, that they can see what I'm doing. You know, we've discussed already, I do think it's important that we constantly review submission in terms of how we can capture everything. Um, I mean, you guys have shown, taught me a lesson, not that I, as an animator, have followed through on it, but the, the whole experience that you had with everything that I can see from here. Um, now, I remember kind of gnashing my gums on that because it was submitted, and I remember contacting yourself or... Who was the producer? Um, Fritzy. 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 And kind of saying, oh, what are you going to do with this? Because I, ca I can't show it if it's online. So, you know, w what's happening? Oh, yeah, did you, you just stuck it up anyway. It, it, right? just, it went up. Seriously, you... You... you, you Rodgers, no. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> no, totally fine we, with it. We talked to you about it. And we did. We, 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 did. Had a, we had a long conversation amongst yeah. ourselves where Fritzy identified all the, all the film festivals that didn't that wouldn't allow you to get in if it was online. Yeah. And then we, we'd been working on it for so long, we just yeah. decided, we just need to put this up. Exactly. It just needs I mean, to go I'm out. Not, and, like, and then we had the conversation with you. Yeah. And you kindly let us put it in anyway. Yeah, because I genuinely felt within the context of that year, it was one of the best British animations. Um, and it had to be in there. Even, I mean, I, I, my remembrance of it, I know we were talking it through, but my memory was that we kind of thought, right, great, we're going we're gonna to get a UK premiere for this thing. Um, and we, we invited it. And then within that week, it was online. And I was sitting there going, oh, oh it's online now. But we, we, ha we, we, we talked about it up, up the road in Edinburgh as well. And I was saying, well, look, I know why they've done it. I know, I know the kind of um, the operating uh, idea, which, which is basically, you know, you're a kind of group of fresh talent and you've, you've got to have, a presence, you, you know, it's not, the world's changed, it's completely changed from when Channel 4 were kind of promoting these films, putting them out, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we did make the call that we would just keep it, we'd keep it in. Um, and I, I, I don't want to sound like, a, I'm going to sound like an arsehole. Go on. It, it, it was BAFTA nominated. So if, if there were, not that there was an argument, I mean, I said, we need to show this, and everybody went, fine. We show it, you know, it does break the online restriction, but you've said it's got to be in, and we'll take that. And I feel vindicated in having made that call because it did get BAFTA nominated. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it was one of the best animated films of the year. Um, but, but also, that was the qualifier, right, as well? Well, there's the irony. <laughs> <laughs> that was what made it eligible for BAFTA, am I right? I can't even Let's remember. not go into that because that, that, that opens up a can of worms. But the thing is, it would have qualified eventually. If, if, you know, if, if Edinburgh had kind of gone, oh, you've gone online, blah, 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 Encounters would have taken it. You know, it, it would have qualified. It's Encounters a qualifier. Yeah, okay. yeah. and right. Encounters qualifies for the Academy Awards as well. Oh, really? Um, if you're not online um, and you win. But, um, but experiences like that, I mean, I mean again, for, in, in terms of how we review and uh, think about developing, certainly that strata within the Edinburgh Film Festival, the McLaren Award, it's really important to recognise that individuals like yourself that are making a, a massive contribution to British animation have to operate in a different way than when the award was set up. So we can't... I, I don't think we can restrict as much. I can't make that call here and now, and conversations will be had. 
Um, but I, I just think, you know, the, the industry's changed to the point yeah. where what you guys have been innovating in terms of using Vimeo and YouTube and everything else. I mean, I mean, even with, um, and I'll get the name wrong, um, Super Ninja Super Teenage. Turbo Atomic Super, Ninja Rabbit. Yeah. That was another of those examples where you had created a mythology around that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, do you know what? It getting into Edinburgh was like, the plan was that we would release it and give it a few months anonymously online. But then right. it was, it would cut that kind of window that we had to have it online coincided with it being it would have been if it had it gone into Annecy it would have been announced at Annecy and mm. it would have been announced at Edinburgh, Edinburgh. Well. yeah and actually that was when we did that whole thing and people started like hunting for it and trying exactly. to work out someone found it in the Edinburgh listing as like yeah. oh it's actually done by like Wesley or whatever well exactly and, and, and that these are the sort of kind of engagements with the culture of how people are interacting with media that, you know, and, 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 and film is a very loose definition, but I personally see that my remit is the best British animation. And if somebody's coming up with a genius idea, like Penis Mouse did and like Wesley did, where, because of how people absorb content, they're actually remembering seeing something that never existed. Yeah. They're actually going, yeah, I love that show. Da, da, da. Okay, maybe they're bullshitting as much as the bullshitter yeah it's different from just having a film and saying right it's online it's a completely different Mm. equation and you have to catalogue it um there'll come a point i I worry that there'll come a point if i get too (laughs) kind of in the woodwork of the edinburgh film festival that i'll end up with unwatchable programs because it'll just be this needs catalogued this (laughs) needs to be in the book it'd be like a lenticular like postcard Getting into the film festival. This is vital. (laughs) Do you see that as your responsibility then to catalogue things for posterity? I see. Well, especially in the context of Edinburgh. I mean, I mean, think. I mean, I mean, maybe we don't all think about it. But when you've got a festival like the Edinburgh International Film Festival, you've got a back catalogue, literally a back catalogue, going to 1947. And if you can be bothered to go through all those catalogues. Your films, your names, are in the same listings over time as Norman McLaren and mm. um, uh, uh, other people. Sorry, I, I'm trying to remember all the big <laughs> features that we've had because it's not something. It's the history I don't get into as much, but it's just that whole aspect that there's a there's a heritage that we're contributing to. Mm. Um, and again, just just going back in the conversation earlier of why don't we mix the animations in with other things. Other festivals do that. Yeah. You know, and again, if, if you're a filmmaker and that's your bag, go for that festival. But, I mean, the, the thing is, even if you guys made a film and you were thinking, well, I want this presented in short film, that's it's an animated film, but I'm going to go for the film festivals that present this in the context of short film, I'd still be banging in your door saying, but it's British animation, it's got to be in the McLaren. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because that is what I think the job that I currently have at the Edinburgh Film Festival is. Um, you know, and other awards for British animation are out there. Mm. But we, we, we've we been doing it longer. So. <laughs> <laughs> the heritage, you say. Exactly. It's, all, it, it's just about that kind of can, lineage. Can I ask, like, it's something that we've spoken about quite a lot just internally, and 
I think that you have a unique perspective on on this uh, question is how important do you see festivals now in this like current climate in you know with yeah. the, the the potential exposure you can get just from releasing something online yeah it's it is tricky i mean i think one advantage of a festival um let, let's put the cataloging to one side for one moment because i think cataloging is important i'm a bit anal about that i think <laughs> um but one advantage of a festival is the presence of like-minded people or kind of commissioners, business people, gatekeepers to, to some degree that still exist. Um, and yeah, there are people that will champion awards at festivals and there will be people that can be quite negative about it. But I think your main advantage in a festival circuit uh, is that you get a kind of reputation and kudos if you are one of the fortunates that's picking up an award. Um, but even just being present, even just, again, getting back to that catalogue side, I think is quite important. Now, the, I think the, the slight difference, and I know that maybe things are concurrent on channels like Vimeo where they have staff picks and all the rest of it, but the internet is just, it's, it's just an unstoppable floodgate of content. And you can break through. I mean, you guys... How many did you get for everything I could see from here? It was hundreds of thousands? Uh, what, views? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea. It was loads. I think it's... I think... Yeah, I'd, I reckon it's probably 300 plus. Yeah, like I mean, without being entirely sure... I mean, you, you guys have maybe looked at your stats. Without being entirely sure how engaged those audiences were, that sounds like a bigger audience than you could get even if you played at every single film festival going. You know, it's... Mm. And there is an interesting study yet to be made by somebody. There's a PhD in here, if anybody wants it, about, about viewer engagement online. I mean, I'm sure we're all avid absorbers of animation and, and we watch from beginning to end. Um, but, you know, I've got my work online and have access to the statistics that come out of it. Mm. And I think, it, I think I worked out there was only 7% of the content that I had online that was, was actually watched to the end. Right. You know, so you do question sometimes what does a... And I'm not saying that I've had a million views, but what does a million views actually mean? Have a million people actually gone from here to there mm. online or have a million people just navigated to your page, mm. started it and stopped? Or have yeah. they gone off and made a cup of tea and missed it? Yeah. So... I think it... I don't think there's probably one single video that has 100% or... Mm. I'm sure there's stuff in the 90s and stuff like that. But I mean, like, where, but then I suppose a cinema doesn't, you know, like yeah. I've when at Annecy, I've I've seen people walk out of screenings. Yeah. I've seen people fall asleep in yeah. them, you know. Um, um, it's probably not as common as a video, right? But yeah, I mean, I think that it's there's a lot of videos I put on on the internet and I watch. I'm really embarrassed to say like 10 seconds of, mm -hmm. and I'm like. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm into this, and then yeah. change it. I, I wish I didn't, but yeah. I do. That's the truth of it. And then when I'm in a cinema, I mean, you know, film festival, I, you know, might fall asleep through the odd one at something like Annecy, which is a week. But if yeah. you go to Edinburgh, there's not, people aren't falling asleep in Edinburgh. It's just like no, I've not seen that. Have you noticed how that 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 mentality of watching something on YouTube and stopping it is building into is sort of like eking into like 
like how you watch stuff on Netflix and that because mm. I can't ever remember walking out of a cinema but I'll start I'll, there's so much stuff on Netflix now I'll start watching something and then be like nah and I'll just turn it off exactly like how I would a YouTube yeah. video and that that bothers me actually yeah. I, I, read, I, I always sort of I always watch something to the end like if it was a film mm. like no matter how bad it was I always wanted to watch it to the end I don't know there was definitely a point where yeah, it's another it's another question, but like, mm. you know, being a completionist, I realised that with my emails, with my books, films, and everything, it was actually holding me back. I was getting through less stuff because I was making myself finish shit stuff. But then there's the potential to like something because it's so bad, you know? Yeah, you can definitely learn stuff. I don't think you should spend your life reading shit stuff or watching shit films just no, just no, for no, the no. Sake but like. Yeah, like I watched one film called Hobo with a Shotgun and when it first started I was like god damn it this is bad like and then I sort of halfway through I was like I don't know if I can do it and by the end I loved it <laughs> yeah <laughs> this, is, this is why you have to sit through submissions yeah yeah because it, oh they definitely can't, they, can't turn, yeah, yeah. they can't turn there's one other wee thing I would say about certainly a festival you know I'll put, put a plug out for the technical team at Edinburgh is that the presentation of films should be exemplary at a film festival. And I know they, they go to pains to make sure that films are seen at their optimum appearance at a film festival. And that's just one thing you can't control online. Not to not being online. You know, there's, I think there are pros and cons. But you, you don't know what kind of soundbar someone's got, you know, when they're watching this thing at home or, you know, when they're watching it on their mobile phone. I mean, how satisfying is it <laughs> watching, really, a, a film on your mobile phone? even though it's a big thing now. Um, and, and I... OK, I'm maybe of a generation where I'm aware that I can watch things online, and I do, but I love being in a cinema. I love, I love the kind of... kind of absorbing atmosphere of it, and I love the atmosphere of the audience. Yeah, there's a sort of weird crowd mentality that you plug into when you're mm. in a cinema. It's like when you watch... A comedy is so much better to watch with people than it is alone, because yeah. you're you'll laugh more. I don't know why, you just psychological, I guess. And there was that weird thing that that, was it the guy who used to run the Odeon? Uh, oh, there's a guy who, I think he's, he's either CEO or on the board or something of Odeon. He said this thing a few months ago where he was like, oh, maybe we're going to make it so people can use their phones in the cinema. <coughs> and what? We're not, we're not going to stop them from doing that as a way of kind of moving with the times. I don't know if it was like a publicity stunt, but... Everybody Jeez. went insane about yeah. it because it is—it's the opposite of what you want from the cinema. Yeah. And it completely takes away anything that's special about the cinema and the reason why people would pay up to fifteen, well, up to yeah. like twenty-five quid in London yeah. to go and see uh, to go and see a film. You know? That's shocking. Yeah, that must have been a publicity stunt. No, no they're not doing anymore. He, he he recalled it like a week later or something right. after all the outrage. Yeah. But, yeah. but it but it is a. a a tough question. I mean, in terms of you know, I mean, I mean, to some degree, I think some people ask why do we have film festivals, given that we have the internet. Um, and if it if it were that simple an equation, you know, is it either or? Then I think the biggest argument for the film festival is just the social aspect of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I know there'll be somebody out there going, but. I post my film online and somebody contacted me from America and we're great mates now and we mm. make films. Yeah, that can happen. Um, but 
but it's just nice. It's just <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Can't really justify it. it is, no, I, nice. it is nice. I, 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 about three years ago, I was just like, ah, oh, you know what? Fuck festivals, man. Like I, mm. I, you know, I was purely looking at it on the basis of you can get more traffic just from a video if it's successful, and I was maybe a little bit like on the defensive about festivals going uh, well we're only let in if it's in our festival first and and yeah. by the way you have to pay us 30 quid to submit it and yeah. I was just like whatever but having been to a few and spoke and just through this podcast having speaking to filmmakers and um, people like yourself mm. I've really valued the importance of it uh, particularly from uh, speaking to Peter Millard actually oh Peter's brilliant so I mean oh. Peter's films are they're made for a cinema. Yeah. And, 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 and an audience, I think, yeah, as well. Yeah, totally. He, he, he's the Andy Kaufman of animation. Yeah, yeah. Man, his interview, you're going to love, is one oh, of It's so funny. Uh, and he, even when I watch a video of his when he puts it online, I think, I have to get people around me to watch yeah. it. I'm like, come <laughs> and watch this. I never do that <laughs> with any other, other person's film. And, and he's sort of almost... And I can't recall the, the interview too well now, but I, it's almost like if it wasn't for the festivals encouraging him, he might not be producing as much as I he does. I can see that. I'm, I'm, not trying, I'm, I'm not on our part trying to take any credit from Edinburgh, but I know like the Vienna Short Film Festival, mm. uh, he's been in residence there. and um, But I, I do think the experience of a Peter Miller film is who you're sitting next to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw... Happy Unhappy in Encounters mm. and there were some teenagers um, it shouldn't really matter how old they were I think it was. I think it might have been a general reaction but the film played and this guy in front of me just said that's ten minutes of my life I'll never get back <laughs> <laughs> and I told Peter about it I must have messaged him or something but he loves that but we had I mean I, I, I kind of goofed I think because he graduated with um, RCA with Oogle, I can't remember what it was called. Um, it's is the jazz film Oogle D. Oh, Kabongadi Bongadi. Yeah, I was like, oh god, this is really weird. I don't know what's going on. And I, the year that came through Edinburgh, I kind of passed on it. And then Fruit Fruit came in the year after. Oh, that's my favourite. It's his. brilliant. And I thought, you know, I need to kind of, um, yeah, it was really kind of vivid and exciting. But I, I thought. I did the guy a service last year because I, I missed out on this grad film. But this is going to go in this year. And it just threw the whole audience. It was yeah, amazing. Yeah. It just, folk were laughing. and But it, but it wasn't like um, that kind of, oh, it contrives the wrong word. You know when when you kind of distill laughter from an audience, you're like, right, you laugh now. I've done yeah, something yeah, it's, that's funny. It's like it has a certain wit that isn't a gag, you know. Yeah, like, and, yeah. and your audience will go, ha, 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 we appreciate the joke. Whereas with Fruit Fruit, People were just laughing at their own things. There was like yeah, yeah, rhythms yeah. of laughter. People were kind of going, "That lemon's funny. That banana's funny." It was all <laughs> just all these different, rea- all these different reactions around the cinema. The thing um, is, do you know the best thing is, is that he doesn't try. He's not trying to make. And I think he might realize people will laugh at them. But from the interview, interview, he's. He's just saying, like, I'm, I'm not trying to be funny at all. I'm not even yeah. sure what people are going to think of this. And yeah. yeah. No, that, that un, un, hap, um, Happy Unhappy came in the year after. 
and I was I was actually on the point of contacting Peter to say, have I, have I got a duff copy? <laughs> <laughs> because it kept blacking out. <laughs> and it kept stopping. And I was really nervous because I was like, do I call him in this? Do I get in contact him and say, Peter, I think, I think I've got a really bad screening copy here. What do I do? And then I kind of thought about it and I just thought, just, just, just go with it. Just put it in, if that's what it's supposed to be. And it, again, I mean, that's the reaction you have. You, you're sitting in isolation in your house and it's on television. And you're like, I'm really not sure about this. I really don't know what's supposed to be happening. And then you put it in with an audience and it, that, it comes alive. That, it was magic. And yes, some people came away going, what, the, what, were the, what was he doing? Why was that there? Some people coming out going, that wasn't animation. <laughs> <laughs> But other folk were just like, oh my God, that was brilliant. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah. There's I, I always <laughs> feel, when putting these programmes together, that you've got... I mean, I'm not saying that I dislike Peter's work. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that that one, I really didn't have a clue. I, w- I was really stuck. What, on Unhappy on Happy? Yeah, it's like, is this going to fit? Is this, gonna, is this finished? <laughs> um, <laughs> but sometimes... You do have to just take a punt. You've just got to kind of go with a kind of... Because film curation shouldn't be about personal taste. Should you ever watch them with anybody else? Um, Because I had to judge a thing a while back and I realised that the act of like watching it on my own in my front room on the the TV while everybody else was in the other room was like pretty weird and antisocial. I almost felt like I should have had... I'll watch them at home and, you know, my partner will be out. So I I, I get kind of clear afternoons of just viewing. Um, I feel a bit funny about... I know it's a weird thing to say, but I feel a bit funny about sharing the viewing experience because because there's a kind of code of practice Mm. in that... Obviously, people want audiences to see their film, but... I mean, let's put, I think even in the contract as a viewer, you're not really supposed to be kind of arming yourself with mates because there's, right, kind of, right. there's a code of trust. It's like mm. you, you send the film in and you expect people to kind of be sitting, studying it almost mm-hmm. and taking notes. And, mm-hmm. and, it's, and, and how does it work? You turn down the lights and like... Um, I pre- I'm quite old-fashioned. I mean, I know there's a lot of online screener stuff going on, which is great. It's really convenient especially for, I'm a filmmaker myself, so it's great just to upload it once and not do all the DVDs. Um, and it may be because I'm, I'm, I'm of an age. <laughs> I don't really get, it's not that I don't get the internet. Um, but, but there's a really lovely thing about just having a collection of DVDs because you can, you know, you, you, you can put them on a big telly, you, you don't lose them. I know that sounds really stupid. I'm, not to say that I lose email or links, but there's more chance of an email getting kind of, lost between 20 other emails yeah. than actually a physical object that you have to kind of physically interact with and log in and log out. Um, so I, I personally, I, I enjoy the process of uh, viewing the DVD. I have looked at a lot of online stuff. It's, I'm not saying that we, we can't do it, but it, it's, it, it's, um, it's easier to keep a track on. And it's, I find it easier to program the final compilations when I've, I'm, I'm mo- not shuffling in terms of making random decisions but having the physical DVDs 
in order to kind of imagine what the shape of the programme might be. Because you've got all the film titles in front of you, and yeah, I could do it on a laptop as well. But there's just something really nice about having... And you have a big TV or a projector or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, on rare occasions, I've been at my brother-in-law's house, and he has a home cinema. He's a, a lovely man. <laughs> He's got a home cinema. Th- this is when we go to Canada at Christmas, and I take a batch over. And, you know, when all the family are out doing Christmas things, I, s- <laughs> I sit with the uh, home, and it's great. Um, but I just feel that you should be trying to watch them as near to a kind of kind of cinematic because that's what you're programming you're programming for the cinema but I think one of the things I, I think I was almost got to the end of saying that you shouldn't be fil- you're not doing a programme of films that you and your mates are going to enjoy it's not about you and your taste and, that, and that's why you end up putting things like Peter's film in which again is not to say that I disliked Unhappy Happy I just didn't really understand it but I knew that there was something different about it, mm. and therefore, you've got to try and represent it. And and people often kind of come up to me after screenings and say, "Oh, I liked such and such, and I didn't like that." And I'm like, I don't ever vocalise it, but I'm like, good. Mm. You shouldn't be happy with everything. Mm. I'm not programming to make me happy or to make you happy. I'm programming to show what's going on. And mm. if you don't think that's very good, that's great. It does have merit because it's nuts <laughs> and it plays with the audience if, if we're talking about Peter's film in that example. But it shouldn't be ever about me going, well, I like this sort of film. Um, and you've, you've just got to check yourself all the time. So, I mean, I, 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 I keep an Excel sheet. In terms of the process, uh, I keep an Excel sheet and I, I log the title, the director. I try and log the producer if I know it, whether it's a film school or if it's the line. or you know, I, I try and keep a track of those kind of names and then I, I have a, a, a column for the technique because it would be horrific to shortlist at the end of the day and go oh it's all 2D you know just by, by chance of the way it's all come out so it's really important to kind of I mean, I mean you could argue or I could argue that I've watched all these films and all the best films were 2D but I can't, I can't do that. I can't just put on 2D So films. part of the kind of selection process is like representing what's going on exactly, as, as well as what's... Techniques and, yeah. you know, and, and that's why, again, I think there's conversations that need to be had about what our submissions might be missing in terms of random acts or you know, online stuff and all the rest of it because there, there might be... I mean, I, mean I, I, I don't think we've seen as much... Well, I know we've not seen as much of the more experimental material that maybe Animate Projects is doing because they do online now. They're all straight online. Um, and that cuts down our quotient of female directors because a lot of the directors that have worked with Animate have been like Sam Moore and all the rest of it. And you've got to balance that as well because guess what? There are female animators as well. Do you know what I mean? It's like, mm. I, th- I think people often submitting to a film festival it, I know because I've done it myself it's very upsetting not to get in and it's very upsetting to feel that you've not made a great film but the chances are you have made a great film but in that mix of that particular festival you were maybe just one Scottish director too many or you were one male director too many or you were one film with wall to wall dialogue too many I remember bumping into somebody, it'll probably give too much away, 
saying what it was, but I met a filmmaker in Annecy and they said, um, oh, you didn't take my film at Edinburgh. And I went, what was it? And they said what it was. And I said, you. And it was a bizarre kind of zeitgeist of that year, but there were about four or five films that involved people falling in love with fish. You can't show them all, because that becomes the the short film program about people falling in love with fish. It's it no longer becomes the animation program. It's mm. the here are people falling in love with fish program. Was it the famous one that was about the falling in love with the fish? Um, the successful I, one that year. All I can say is that is that the, the fish film that we did pick. I know, okay, maybe I've tempted fate here because we are a BAFTA qualifying festival, mm. but it won the BAFTA. Right, right. Um, and I can't remember the name of it, which is terrible. But there were it, bizarrely there were a lot of fish films that year. That one is the one that was in up for your in the same category as everything I can see from it, right? Sleeping with the fishes. Yeah, that's it. Yep, yep. That that was that was that that was one of the better falling in love with fish films that year. They were, they, they, no, they were all good. They were all, they were all good films. But you can't put you can't put the ball on. No. And, and even I, no. I, mean, I mean, even I, when I was, the tannery that I made five years ago, and it's a film that I've wanted to make for, or it's, a, it's, it's characters that I wanted to animate for about seven years. And I had the bizarre experience when I was putting that out to festivals of getting films in for the film festival in Edinburgh and going, oh my God, how many people have made films about foxes? I mean, and it was just that year. That were all these fox films were uh, kicking about. You just sometimes, I mean, but that, that's all I would say to f- filmmakers with rejection letters is it doesn't mean that you have made a bad film. It just means that it might be too similar to another film that might have got in for whatever reason it got in, and you should keep going because there'll be another film festival that doesn't take that film or that film wasn't submitted to. Did, did the tannery get in the Edinburgh Animation Film Festival? Strangely, it did. Um, <laughs> That was the most. <laughs> that was the most awkward introduction <laughs> I've ever made. Because I, w- I, I will try and contextualise how this can happen. Um, Go for it. I, 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 but but the, the introduction was awkward because I was like, "Ladies and gentlemen, wel- welcome to the McLaren Award for British." An- okay, I would have said best British animation. Mm. But delighted to say we have several of the filmmakers here in the audience tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and I rattled out all these names and went, and, and Ian Gardner. <laughs> it was really embarrassing and my, a relative was in um, and we do the audience vote and this relative was so embarrassing at the close of the programme because everybody had their voting forms out and he was going The Tenery by Ian Gardner and I was like chop chop it was a bit embarrassing but um, um, to, to be fair on myself if I can be I, mean, it's like, <laughs> I, I haven't submitted a film since and I could have but I haven't so just, sorry, really quickly, so what you were talking about there with the voting forms, that's, yeah. that's something that happens to the general audience. Yeah, that's not everybody for... gets to vote. Everybody okay. gets to vote. Um, it's great. It's, oh, it's lo- I love that bit. Um, but, but what happened in that... Because I think that was my second year programming. Did you vote for yourself? Who doesn't? I didn't. Don't! Uh, Who okay. did you vote for? Uh, I think I voted for... Um, I think it was. I think I voted for Ainsley's, mm. uh, and then Man O Man, and yeah. I think I was. I did think I did stick myself in third or something. There's like places, right? Yeah. This is why we do first, second, and third. Um, people often kind of 
they don't often question it. There have been a couple of times it's come up. But inevitably, you'll get posses of people supporting a film. Um, so the reason, and I've seen it, because there was one year I was involved with actually doing the, the count. They've got a team that do the count, but one year I was in there. And you can see... Because because more like, groups of people put the forms in simultaneously mm. with each other, and you see the waves of where people have sat together oh, and yeah. gone. Ba, 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 ba. And and the great thing about having to say to everyone, put down your second and third choice, is that the film that they genuinely liked that wasn't their friend's film goes in second. Mm. Um, and granted, a film might sweep the the kind of first choices. Um, you know, it, proportionately, um, it sort of splits if, the vote, doesn't it? Yeah, but, by if, having it, but the... if everybody has then kind of gone second place in something else, it really swells the percentage mm. um, in the algorithm that exists to work it all out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's brilliant. Good. I mean, it's actually a really good way of doing it. Yeah, um, but just to um, justify uh, before anybody uh, sends me hate mail, it was, it, I was quite not not to say that I couldn't in future submit a film to... <laughs> this is embarrassing to my programme. But, but the way it was done, the way it was done was that the, the, the head of the film festival, the artistic director of the film festival, um, was shown the film um, and was given the veto on whether or not I would be allowed to put it in. Uh, and they granted that and I must... Uh, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe I squeezed an extra five minutes onto the running time. I don't know. I can't remember. Um, you know... But, it, but it, again, it's... There it, wasn't purely just your decision to put in. You submitted it and I someone... I had to submit it and I, I personally couldn't have just greenlit and said it's in... It, I, that had to go right to the top. Um, to your mate. To the artistic <laughs> director. <laughs> um, don't... Um, I'm only winding you up, man. I know, I know. I know. Um, it is a tricky one. Um, because as a filmmaker, I, I would love... Uh, you know, I would genuinely, I would love to get the McLaren Award as a filmmaker. Um, and I think if I ever felt that I was heading towards making a film that may ever in a million years have a chance of winning that, I probably would have to step down. Because um, I you couldn't would do step it. down? Yeah, you can't. If you really, really want it, if I really wanted to have a go at getting the McLaren Award, I, I mean, I'd try and step down carefully so I could step back up again. Yeah, after, yeah. Because I love it. I mean, I, I just... I just love doing it. I just love seeing what's going mm. on, and I love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not just gratifying for myself. I mean, you do help people. You know, we've we've had lots of. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I don't I, I can't account for it, but I know people have certainly in Scotland have some often said to me thanks because it's not just me putting the film in that it's the whole thing that comes with it. Yeah, kind of introducing them to people at the festival when they're there and kind of promoting their film elsewhere when I travel and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I do love it. And I'm not saying that nobody else could come in and do it. Um, but as long as nobody doesn't want me to do it, um, I'm delighted to be representing them and doing the job. But, but if, you know, one of the projects that I'm trying to get into production came to fruition, I, w- I would have to step back right. to give it a run. Um, although maybe even that would be contentious maybe I'll never ever get to enter this competition (laughs) (sighs) there's a bunch more out there yeah Yeah, I know I know Um, there was one last thing that I wanted to ask you um, uh, and that was about 
living in Scotland versus yeah. London. Yeah. Do you ever think you're going to move or are you permanently up there now? I'd, I'd really like it to work um, for me personally in Scotland. Um, I, I do... I miss a lot of people down here. I kind of... One thing... I feel I miss in Scotland, despite having amazing friends and kind of hanging out with Will and Ains and seeing Ross and all the rest of it, is that my peer group is in London. All the people that worked in Thief and the Cobbler, all the people that came through the Royal College at the same time as me, all that TVC generation, they're all kind of here. Um, uh, I do have a kind of passion to be operating in Scotland, as Will and Ains do, and you know, a lot of people feel it important to contribute to the decentralisation of the industry. Yeah. Um, I personally am just, I'm finding, I feel a wee bit out of step with everybody else in Scotland because I didn't, I didn't have the same growth as they went through. My growth was here and to some degree maybe the people I should be collaborating are still down here because I just, I mean, I, w I would like to get Involved, like do projects with Ross and see if I could get involved with Willie Nains and all that kind of stuff. But because I was here, I just missed a beat up there. And and as much as when I went back to Scotland, you know, after leaving London, going to Canada for a bit, as much as I went back to Scotland with this kind of, I want to be in Scotland to help decentralise London and build the industry. There's actually a lot of people doing it. I mean, Axis. There are amazing studios there with international reputations. And I hate saying it because a lot of people will rip me for saying it, especially my partner, but I don't necessarily think I would be missed <laughs> if I left Scotland. Um, maybe I would. I don't know. Um, but I think a lot of people just feel it's important to have a presence there because it will build, and it is building. Um, hmm. I, I mean, I, I would love to to get more substantial projects off the ground. Um, you know, and it's the same thing, the same problem they had, the, the illusionists. We just don't have the kind of infrastructure. We don't have the crew and the talent. And It seems that games are doing all right up in Totally, Scotland, yeah. Amazing. I mean, Rockstar in Edinburgh. Um, I mean, it, there is a, a vibrant community. I mean, it, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I mean, the sort of films I want to make are like Ethel and Ernest, you know, and... There is a, a logic in my head that kind of says, well, actually, there's only going to be so much funding for that type of work. And Lupus have got 13 years ahead of you. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're going to make it. They're, they're going to be doing that stuff. And, and if I get opportunities to contribute to that, that's fantastic. I mean, they're a great team. It's, a, it's, a, it's been, been lovely to work with Peter Dodd and my friends from TVC and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would like to expand what I've been doing. And, you know, I've got experience in teaching, I've got, I've got the, the background from Dick Williams as well. I, I, I still think I can make a contribution to animation in Scotland. Um, and it's not that Creative Scotland aren't open to supporting, but there's a bit of a kind of, for me personally, there's a bit of a funding gap in that there's the new talent, the BFI network, which I'm a bit far, I'm not far beyond, I mean they'll, they'll still help people in my position but I just, I don't really want to be doing a short again um, so there's, there's funding available for a short, 5-10 minutes 
um, and there's a big push from Creative Scotland to do features. And I could be wrong. Uh, I'm sure people could argue with me saying you've not fully um, appreciated this, but I, I, I personally don't think I could jump from doing a five-minute film largely on my own to doing a feature film. And consequently, the next big project I would like to do would be half an hour. And that might be an adaptation of a kid's book. It might be uh, been researching a, a historical story connected to an animal in Scotland. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, a, it's a really lovely story. And there have been producers have been discussing it with. So I know that there's... I know there's potential for it, but it just falls into a funding gap because Creative Scotland don't presently support half-hour TV content. And, and I do, you know, I, I, if I speak to officers from there, I do make the argument, well, look, unless in, in this genre we have a package to train people and to develop the pipeline, we can't jump into doing Ethel and Ernest because you've, you've, mm. you've got to have people trained to do it. Um, but yeah, I, 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 you know, development needs done, and I, you know, I, I need to team up with producers that can wrangle money, and you know, I'm crossing my fingers that I, I might make a good case to BBC Scotland. <laughs> Maybe, you know, I, I mean, I don't think they've got budget necessarily for animation in Scotland, but, um, but, but, but again, that's the thing. We're not really going to be able to produce things in Scotland unless there's the investment for it. Um, so, yeah, I do want to develop not only my career, but to, to create things that could help develop other careers in Scotland. Um, but I do, I, I mean, I come, I've just been to the Ethel and thing, and there's just so many people, and they're all doing bear hunt and blah, 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 and you do think, could a stomach coming back here? Mm. Could it work? Not for the time being. Not for the time being. And I love Scotland. I just... There's another thing that, you know, there's a word that we haven't mentioned, which is Brexit. And I... I mean, okay, I mean, maybe guys like you, maybe you're not as dependent on European funding. But, 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 but I mean, the, the, the half hour that I'd want to make, I had a conversation with our local media um, uh, representative. Um, and I, I've not really produced you know, as a production company before, and I basically went in saying, how do you qualify? How do you get onto the rung? And they were saying, well, look, you really need to have a production credit in an equivalent half-hour project. So, you know, I just kind of stepped back from that and said, well, okay, let's, let's reroute the career ambitions. How could you maybe get a production credit somewhere? Blah, 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 you know, rethinking strategies. And then Brexit happens. So even with the ambition within Scotland to do a half-hour film, What's the future going to be? Because potentially, if Scotland gets dragged down with the rest of the country, um, that European cooperation's up th up the spout. You know, and there's a bit of me, given what I would want to do. I mean, I, I don't know how feasible it is, and I don't know how much I would support it. But I mean, if if we do trigger Article Fifty, and we remove ourselves from these kind of negotiations and trade pacts and international well, European cooperation. And if Nicola Sturgeon manages to keep Scotland in, whether through some kind of federalism or whatever, you know, maybe maybe everybody will be in Scotland. Yeah. Because that's where you'll be able to get, you'll get the money to produce stuff. I don't know. I'm not an economist. Yeah. Um, it's like everyone in America is going to move to Canada when Donald Trump, Trump gets, gets in, in yeah. and then everyone um, in England is going to move to Scotland. Yeah. 
Um, and I'd certainly put a case for everyone. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, that, that, I'm sounding quite na naive, I, I reckon. But it's just very difficult to really know how how the cards will will be stacked for anybody uh, at the moment. Um, but yeah, I I miss the people. I miss my peer group. Um, and it's it's what's been great about coming down for the screening is that I've kind of bubbled around seeing my generation of animators. Um, but I, I just don't know if I could stomach the expanse of London again. I, I kind of did it for six years, and it's um, t it takes a lot of strength, actually, I think, just keeping your head above water down here. But we'll see. I do, I, 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 yeah, I feel at a weird stage in my career because... It's kind of, in some senses, I've arrived. You know, I, I get cited in books. I've I've had that festival record, and yet I still feel like I haven't. And and I know I know one person that would listen to this and would strangle me for saying this. But sometimes I feel I haven't even started yet. It's really weird. It's just, and that might just be like a lack, a lack of confidence and a lack of um, self awareness. Um, if, if if Scotland's not going to work, I'd probably go to Canada before I came back. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't sound bad. Yeah, we should yeah. wrap this up. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, really late. Yeah, no, no, no. It's been great. Um, no, it's been really nice catching up. Yeah, thanks, man. I've had a shitty day, and <laughs> yeah, it's really, yeah. chi it's really cheered me up. So, yeah. <laughs> I had a lovely day. Yeah, yeah. Um, good for you. And this has been shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. it's been lovely. <laughs> All right, thanks very much. All yeah, right. cheers. I'll right. see you later. Thank you very much to Ian Gardner for coming and chatting to us. Um, really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks so much, Ian, man. It was uh, really great. And uh, thanks to you guys for listening. We'll yeah. catch you next week. See ya. Bye.